Hello, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. This show features conversations between diverse technology professionals discussing women in the industry, cutting-edge innovations, the future of work, deeply technical topics, and the ways that we can all work together to make the world a more inclusive place. We hope you enjoy, and if you do, please subscribe, rate, and comment. Mental Health Day was May 10th, and we want to encourage everyone to prioritize looking after their mental health. In this week's segment of Women Who Code Talks Tech, we have Courtney Shelby, owner of the Thrive Wellness Group, talking about different techniques that engineers can use to restore their mental health and create a resilient mindset. Enjoy! Getting into step one, which is protecting your energy, mindset, and emotions. The first step is that you have to identify exactly what is the problem. So two questions I want you to think about and answer are, who is in your circle right now that is affecting your energy, your mindset, and your emotions? And let's be real about it. This is a safe environment, so you can type anything in the chat. This could have to do with family members, children, your supervisor, so your mom, your spouse, your partner, they're all fair answers. And around that, the second question is, what's making you feel this way? What is it about that situation? And I have some examples down below. Is it it negative things that they're saying? And whatever it's regarding. Is it the news? There's a lot going on right now. We're currently in an election, so emotions are pretty high right now. Is it negative words and thoughts that are coming from you? So self-judgment, poor mindset, past experiences or failures. So where where is it coming from? Um, Negative environments or unhealthy environments. I know you're all working from home right now, so that could be Um, Maybe not so much negative, but unhealthy from the standpoint of not having that social contact. Or if it is a negative environment, it could be in contact with people who speak negatively, negatively about anything. Um, What limiting beliefs, fears, excuses, and procrastination do you have around some of the things that you just told me about? I can't find time to do this. I can't do that. Um, I can't socialize with my friends. I can't go out. So I want you to kind of for yourself, make a list of whatever it is within this list. What are the, what's the number one area or two areas where you're, you know that you are being attacked with your energy, your mindset, and your emotions. And last one I was going to put in here, work schedule, too many commitments, no balance. Um, So then let me go to the chat. Yes, this is great. Family members not supportive. Um, Most people in my circle are supportive, but I tend to be most affected by my own negative thoughts caused by anxiety. Um, News and current events seem to be biggest source. Yes. So right off the bat, it's going to be so important that you protect protect these things, right? Okay, next. Um, Just put this down. So how do we deal with this? The first really steps two, which is, but the first step of this is taking an intermittent 
brain fast, I like to say. So it's going to be breaking that cycle. That could be limiting your time with people. And that doesn't mean that we don't love them. We're not cutting people off. Although I will say there is a time and place sometimes to distance yourself from people. And you can do that in a non-confrontational way. So limiting your time. So that means planning in advance. So that could mean like deciding, oh, I'm getting ready to talk to Becky today. And you know what? I love Becky, but maybe Becky speaks negatively about this. Or it could be something around nutrition where it's like, you know what? Becky is that one that always asks me to go out to pizza two or three times a week or grab that extra drink. And I know I don't need to do that. So setting boundaries, being intentional about it, speaking up and communicating clearly and not being afraid to do that in a respectful way, taking action to change that situation. Because whatever you will continue, whatever you allow, it will continue. So make a note on that. Where and how can you limit your time and what boundaries can you set? Because that could be around the phone time, that could be around uh, visiting time, computer, whatever that is. Okay. So then step three, hopefully now that you've identified what the problem is, is how do you strengthen yourself in that area? And so I like to call it, first of all, lifting your mental weights. So we talk about lifting and weight strength. That means getting stronger in that area, more confidence. So detoxing to getting rid of all the toxic thoughts, limiting beliefs, and replacing them. But here's the reality, ladies. This is not something that just happens really easy. So um, I forgot who it was. Somebody typed in the chat, like, I'm making lists and trying to do all these things. But I'll tell you, people make tons of lists and things, and they never do them. So the first step before creating a habit or working on a habit is working on your mind. So I want to ask, how many of you right now take regular time every day, like structured time to either you're working on something like affirmations, visualizations, maybe it's journaling or doing like gratitude, prayer, meditation, breath work, reading, listening, or confiding in good friends, like on a regular basis. I'd like to just see like commenting in the chat on that. So like how often or how many minutes, or if you're not doing it, comment in the chat that you're not doing it. And why? Is it because it's something you haven't thought of? Or is it because it's not a point? It's not important. Julie, that's awesome. She says, I set aside one hour daily to read. Um, I, Zenny says, I don't. I've tried meditation. My mind races. And Emma, not doing these things every day sporadically. Okay. So first thing is, which I think um, that Zen, Zenny pointed out, I wanted to say is, it's important because she said her mind's racing sometimes when she does that. And Rachel, by the way, says varies based on schedule. It's so important that you find something that works for you and you have to find something. So what works for me is not going to work for Rachel or Julie or Iona or Dominica or Navadi or Zenny. So you have to find something that's going to work for you. But then here's the real deal. It's not going to be easy in the beginning because 
it actually takes as much concentration as it does in your work. It takes that same concentration to work on removing limiting beliefs and toxic thoughts. So your first uh, assignment or challenge is going to be to find a good five minutes, just even starting with five or 10 minutes every day and determine how you want to start lifting your mental weights. That's the first step to freeing yourself from what it is that you're struggling with right now. So decide what that's gonna be and then you, you'll start tomorrow and I'll help you to figure out how you're gonna do that. And the second part of that I just wanna throw in there is that again, it has to be consistent. So it has to be something that you schedule in. You treat it the way that you treat getting up in the morning, going to work or whatever. So you have to treat it that way in order for that to for these toxic thoughts and limiting beliefs to be replaced. And as I'm sure you've probably heard this, that it takes about 90 days or so really to create a habit. So that's what we're trying to do is to create a habit in order to change those thoughts. All right, so the next step, we've talked a little bit about the emotional and dealing with your mind first. The next step is, what about your nutrition? I can say out of everything I'm gonna talk to you about today outside of the mind and setting aside time for that, which is very important. Nutrition is the second most important thing when it comes to emotional health in terms of feeling not stressed, or if you're feeling anxious, and also if you're having trouble focusing at work and also being tired energy-wise. And so from here, it says, make that connection, right? I have gut health first, because the truth is, is that your gut health is really the center of your health. It's not your heart, it's not your muscles, it's your gut. So what you eat affects your brain, right? Your thinking, your focus, hormones, which affect your emotions, and then your immune system. And we're in a time right now with COVID where immune system is at the forefront. And again, it comes even before emotional health because if your immunity is off, that's going to affect your emotional health. So let's talk about that. So if you're stressed and you're anxious, what happens? Cravings. People crave starchy carbs like chips, fries, pizza, right? Sugar, candy, desserts, and alcohol. And I'm sure you've all experienced that. I've experienced that as well. Irritable, brain fog. I had a client yesterday who told me the biggest thing, we've been working together about 12 weeks, and he said, that the biggest thing he got out of the 12 weeks was that he no longer has brain fog. And that was simply from just changing his nutrition. He's young and he's a CEO of a company. And he was like, that was the biggest thing. And part of that is being dehydrated. Maybe even being deficient somewhere in your nutrition. Maybe eating too low fat, too low carb, too low cal. All of those things are a part of that. Hormonal with women. And men, I'm seeing more men these days. I'm meeting with more men actually that are having hormone issues. And that's from stress. So stress is the number one cause of hormonal issues. So intense cravings, deficiencies in your nutrition, overeating. And what is it? Carbs and sugar. 
being tired, fatigue, hormones and adrenals off, right? Craving carbs and sugar again. Rejected, if you're rejected or defeated. So let's say you're going through a terrible breakup, a divorce or something like that, or, or fighting with family or friends, you'll tend to overeat, undereat, crave alcohol, sugar, starchy carbs again. And then for people that are feeling lonely, they're feeling separated from others socially, just not there. They overeat, undereat, alcohol, carbs, and sugar. So all of those things you see go together. So I'd like you to comment in the chat, like, what do you identify with right now or, or not identify with what are, after talking about this, what do you notice in your own situation? What has been coming up for you around nutrition and your emotions? And I, I forgot to mention gut symptoms, people that are having issues in terms of like irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. Those numbers are on the rise during this time. So I'd like to just comment and let me know like where in here are you maybe experiencing symptoms or identifying with? Yeah, that's a good one. Zenny says relying more on stimulants, sugar and caffeine. And that's definitely, I'll tell you, a sign that something is out of whack. Cause that was another thing a client told me the other day that they were completely off of coffee. Now, coffee isn't bad, but they said they realized that they were relying on coffee for energy. And if your nutrition is right in your emotions, you shouldn't have to do that. That's cool. Emma, craving carb, carbs, sugar, salt, when I feel extra anxious and worried. And it's like a vicious cycle, I'll tell you, just keeps going. Okay, so the next question I want to talk about, or next part is nutrition and why it matters most. Most of it I said in the last slide was, if you eat poorly, you feel badly, right? Mentally and physically, physically. So when we talk about nutrition, we're talking about food, water, and vitamins. So proper nutrition, what is the real purpose of it? It helps you prevent disease. It helps to fuel your body, gives you energy mentally and physically, helps you to focus in your work and concentrate, and it strengthens your immune system. I want to just kind of interject here a little bit about fueling your body physically, hair, skin, joints, and muscles. One of the things over the years that I've seen with women who are, uh, have, um, are very committed to their careers, they're very busy, like myself, they tend to start to see symptoms in their hair, hair falling out, um, in their skin, and a lot of that is really, again, around not just stress, but imbalances in nutrition. And this is why nutrition is so important, is that you have to remember, it's not about just lose. People will say, oh, I don't have to lose weight. No, that shouldn't be the forefront. If you have to lose weight, that's great, but that's not the main reason. So just thinking about the importance of getting your nutrition balanced, and we're going to talk about that. So nutrition basics. So here's one thing, your body's made up of 41 to 60% of water. So I'm gonna ask the question in the chat, how many of you get enough water a day? The water RDA recommendation is about 64 ounces a day. That's eight glasses, that's nothing. If you are active and you exercise, I'll tell you three or more times a week, your water intake should be higher than that. So how many of you all are, are getting enough water or are not? And vitamins and supplements. How many of you take vitamins and supplements? You can comment that in the chat too. 
you see here, I have fiber. Women get 25 grams, are supposed to have 25 grams a day. That's the recommended daily allowance. Who's getting that? Vegetables, three to four servings a day. And healthy fats, one to three, or other fiber-rich carbs, one to two. Protein. And on protein sources, you should be getting at least three servings a day. Who's doing that? Who is doing that? I'm not getting enough water. Definitely do, do not. Uh, lots of water, but no supplements. Large 32-ounce mason jars make it easier. Yes, I'm still inconsistent. Big water drinker, Julie says, I take vitamins, herbs, not daily, but four times a week. Okay, so what is my point now at this point in the presentation? Everything matters. So if you're not consistent in these things, then these are just the basic little building blocks of health per se. And again, they all affect your mental health. So if you're feeling anxious, I'll tell you something. Most people that also get anxious, uh, uh, are anxious, get anxious feelings, the first thing I ask them is, what is their water intake? Do you know if your water intake is below like your minimum, heart rate goes right up. And then people start to think they're having stress and panic attacks and literally they're dehydrated. I've seen it happen with family members. I've had, I've been with clients in person that have passed out. I had a client who went to the hospital, stayed for three days only to come out. And they said, oh, sorry, you were dehydrated. I said, you got a $10,000 hospital bill because you're dehydrated? He was mad. So that's why I'm saying all this stuff can make it seem like the world is out of sorts. <laughs> and same thing with vitamins and supplements. Those are just there to really fill in the gaps if you're not um, uh, getting enough of all of your nutrition. So I want everybody to ask the question on vegetables. How many people are getting three to, serve, three to four servings of vegetables a day? That's one cup of vegetables is a serving. So how many people are doing that? Yeah, I can tell you most of the people that I meet with initially, nobody's doing that. Very few, maybe 1% of the people. Yes, yeah, sometimes, everybody's like sometimes. So then, so here's, this is interesting. So if you notice when COVID happened, you saw all these doctors and medical professionals start saying, take supplements because of COVID and immunity. Before that, they weren't talking too much about that. So here's the deal. If you're not taking in basic fruits and vegetables, and then you're not even supplementing on, even on top of that or extra, then you gotta be deficient. You see what I'm saying? So it's important that you are at least doing the basics, which are three to four vegetables a day, and at least trying to work up to that. So you, you have to start somewhere, right? Okay. All right, so next thing, women and nutrition. Nutrition is personal. I wish I had time on here to talk to you about it and to give you like the solutions that you need. But the truth is, is that it's different for every person. People have allergies and tolerances. It depends on your lifestyle and any other medical conditions. But the women, as far as women and focus on nutrition, we're talking about metabolism, and so with metabolism, also exercise where nutrition fits in, muscle tone, and then overall nutritional health and fat burning capacity. So what I mean is this, metabolism is dictated based on how much lean mass is in your body. It's not based on your age. Did you know that? 
So the reason why people's metabolisms drop are because if they have issues with like thyroid issues, and again, that could be, that could kick in because of stress. But if you are not in any way doing any type of weight bearing exercise, you will lose your muscle mass and people's metabolism goes down the toilet. And they will, they'll say, oh no, it's my age. But you know what happens? People get married, people go to college, they get jobs, they own businesses, and then their health and nutrition comes second. And then their metabolism tanks and they go, I don't know how I got here. So today my goal is to show you how you got here. So think about those things and comment in the chat if you feel like some of those things have declined, like your body's changed over the last, last five years. You're like, oh my gosh, how did I get like a stomach, right? Why are my boobs bigger, hormone changes? Or um, why am I skinnier or what's happening? Like, is it because you're not eating as much? Is it because you have children and now you're running around just trying to keep your head on? Or you got married and now your husband's bringing in ice cream or vice versa, because that happens, or your roommate is. So comment in the chat and I'd like to see like, what's going on? And also the other things in there, cycles, maybe your cycle has changed. So you're getting cravings or are you having trouble now with, with hormonals and adrenals because something in your body has changed. Yeah, somebody said back to sugar intake post-marriage. Yes. And I'll tell you, I have a client like that. She's really funny. She tells me, she goes, you know what? When I married my husband, he started having a drink every night, like a glass of wine or something. She was like, I never did that. And I said, so why are you doing that? She was like, well, I don't know. He's doing it. So I thought I, you know, I should do that. So you need to think about your decisions and why you're doing them. So everything today is about the why. All right, next slide. Okay, nutrition, like I said, is personal. So you don't copy. So you have to have a goal. You should always have a plan. And you should have a plan every day for your nutrition because if you don't, here's what happens. I, you'll see number three here, I said schedule it. If you don't have a plan and you don't schedule it, what happens? Emotional eating comes up. Overeating, undereating, um, and you want avoid energy and focus drops and overspending. So most people I talk to do not have a plan. They don't know what they're gonna eat. They say, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna eat for dinner tonight. So what do they do? Let's just order something, let's grab something. And then that could end up being a two to 3,000 calorie meal, and then what happens? Oh my gosh, I feel guilty because I overate. I, my digestive system doesn't like it, and then that takes an emotional toll on your mind, and it takes you off your goals if you are trying to eat healthy. Get back to the chat. Yes, used to walk at least a day or two, which I'm not doing anymore, mm-hmm, yep, okay. So then the third part is monitoring and tracking your progress. So I'd like to know in the chat, who in here monitors and tracks your progress? That could be you have uh, Apple uh, iWatch, maybe you have a Fitbit or some other device, online trackers, you journal, or maybe you have an accountability buddy. Who's doing that right now? And if you aren't, why not? Is it because you didn't think of it? or maybe it takes too much time. So what are you doing in the area to hold yourself accountable with your nutrition? 
or perhaps maybe you have a nutrition nutritionist, dietitian, or some other coach. And along with that, oh, I use my watch to get a sense of my steps each day to know if I need to get up and walk around more. Awesome, Rachel. And just so you know, the minimum for steps a day is 10,000. That's just for general health. I don't have, even current clients of mine rarely hit that even before COVID. So the number one thing I suggested to people when COVID hit was just that, to focus on steps, even if it meant that you got up from your desk a million times a day just to walk around your condo or your house or whatever. So 10,000 steps a day, that's minimum. Okay. So next, step number five. Ooh, one more person in the chat there. I want to make sure I get to that. I've started challenging my husband and doing exercise and doing a watch. Love that. So that's another thing is like if you have a friend or your husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you can like set up fun challenges where you're like, okay, this week our goal is to hit 2,000 steps because right now we're around 1,000 or whatever. So you can set little challenges for yourself. And one of the best ways of doing that, as I have my iPhone here, is I set alarms and reminders. So if you're forgetting, set alarms and reminders for yourself like that goes off at two o'clock and you go, oh, I'm behind in my water, so I need to drink a glass of water. So the more structure that you put in place and accountability, the more successful you will be. Okay, you have to start somewhere. So step number five is exercise. And exercise is like gold. Yes, it increases your blood flow and oxygen to the brain. What does that do? Emotions, endorphins, right? So increases endorphins. I like to say people that exercise are generally happy people. I rarely am around people that exercise regularly or do yoga regularly and they're miserable. Like I, that just doesn't happen. I'll tell you, I'm around active people all the time. And it's funny. They're always, Hey, good morning. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. And even if they come in irritable at the end of the workout, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's quite funny. So endorphins, they affect your hormones, adrenals again. And I want to say something. When we talk about adrenals, you've heard people talk about adrenal fatigue. That is very real. Uh, adrenal fatigue a lot of times can occur when people are over-exercising, sometimes also under-exercising, but it's quite frequent with um, people that over-exercise. Um, exercise, what else does it do? Increases your metabolism. So I was talking about lean muscle mass, so you exercise, whether you're doing cardio or strength, energy, but it gives you that clarity, concentration, and the biggest piece, I think, is confidence. It's amazing how when people exercise, they feel empowered, and, they, and that is because of physical strength. So I want to tell you, do not underestimate the power of exercise. It is incredible. And the American Heart Association recommends 150 minutes per week, 2.5 hours a week, and only one in five adults and teens get enough exercise. So I'd like you to comment in the chat, how much exercise right now are you getting a week? or if you wanna say per day, let's say per day, per day or per week. And is it scheduled exercise or are you winging it? Are you just kind of figuring it out as you go along? Likely less than an hour per week, one hour per week. 
or maybe you're not exercising. And if you're not exercising, I want you to comment in here too, because that's something I can help you with too, as far as giving you some suggestions. But so far, less than one hour per week. Um, and listen, exercise too, remember it's your yoga, it's Pilates, it's walking. So if you're taking daily walks outside, that counts. Usually a couple of hours a week, but not as intensely as I did pre-COVID. Uh, Dominique, I try to do 15 minute workouts each morning. Perfect. I want to say something about that. Let's see, Julie, I'm focusing on changing careers. I do exercise a lot, one to two hours a day. It keeps me sane. It's my happy place and I get grumpy if I don't work out. I hear it, Julie. So something that Dominique has said, which is 15 minutes a day. This is great because people think that they have to set aside an hour or 30 minutes. And when you think about that, it makes you anxious. It makes people crazy. But the truth is, even if people started with 10 minutes a day, like that has huge physical and mental benefits. So if you're not doing that, make a pact with yourself that like 10 minutes a day. And even if you get up and your household is crazy or whatever, and you get them going, that you tell yourself, no matter what happens today, I'm going to do something. I don't care if it's five minutes. But what does that do? It gives you confidence. It makes you feel like you're doing something for yourself and you can't discredit that. Okay, Julie says, since I, um, not Julie, Rachel, only schedule walking is the dog in the morning and night, which is about an hour a day. That is great. And if you have a dog, that's a blessing because you have to go out. So that's great. Other workouts are sporadic. So from if you're not doing enough exercise right now, you're gonna start tomorrow. You're gonna commit to it. And let me tell you something, everything works. You don't have to have some crazy organized plan that everybody has online or just because they have a trainer or coach. It's all good. You start where you need to and then you can build on that later. So know that, don't make, that, uh, don't make it so complicated. All right, next slide. Um, quickly go through this exercise and mental health. Well, we know with cardio and strength, retaining your mobility, increasing your strength, and we already went through the others, lean muscle, cardio, heart health, increasing blood flow and oxygen, and lowering your blood pressure. As we know, too, when you do cardio, I want to tell you, you can get a cardio benefit from your strength training. So if you're doing weights or you're doing body weight training, you can still get cardio benefits from that as well. Now, here's something really interesting I'll tell you about exercising. Fast versus slow, heavy versus light, and long versus short. There is a way to do it. If you're stressed, I'll just tell you this, like really stressed. I mean, like going through something. Sometimes people are going through a loss of a loved one, or there's just a, a, a maybe, again, like I said, a breakup or something. It's not always a good idea to do high-intensity interval training. So there, your training really has to match your emotions. Now, sometimes you could be like, I'm mad, I've had it, or whatever, I'm going to fight, right? Then high-intensity inter high interval training works if it's more from a positive, like overcoming. But if, it's, if you're feeling generally like depressed, feeling really heavy, draggy, it's not a good, always a good idea to just go out there and go high or, or, or high or all out. And so that's why we have a rhyme or reason when we work with individuals on what they should and shouldn't do at, at a time. And I can talk to you more about that maybe individually. Step number six, happy home is a healthy home. 
So what is the mood of your home right now? And if it's only you and your home, okay, what's the mood in your home right now? Do you feel, do you like your home? Do you feel energized in your home? You can comment in the chat. Is your home a mess? Does it need to be clean? Like that was a challenge for a lot of people during COVID is like, oh my gosh, now that I'm home, there's junk everywhere. Um, I need to clean up. Um, I like to maybe redecorate or change some things in my home. So what's, what's going on in your home right now as far as the mood that it, it is giving you, the, mood, the energy of your home? Comment in, that ch in the chat there. Yeah, cozy but hard to prevent clutter. Yeah. Hey, Emma, do you mind taking yourself off of mute and like expounding on that? Like, what does that mean? Like, it's hard to prevent clutter because of what? Yeah. Um, so like, I feel like I live in an apartment with my boyfriend and I feel like we've done a good job of kind of like merging our different styles and kind of like making it like a cozy, eclectic place to live. But because we're like, you know, like we're ordering more things online as opposed to like going out to stores. We have to like deal with the packaging and the boxes and all those things. So being in an apartment, it's like, it's all kind of squished together. And our living room is also like a packaging area too. So it's just hard to keep all of that at bay. Yeah, I agree with that. Anybody else having that challenge is true because we're all ordering everything online. And it's, it's hard because it's kind of like, you either have to get rid of the boxes and the mail right away from Amazon and everywhere else, or it's, it's um, yeah, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Emma, for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Senna, I don't like my physical home, but it's clean and the kids and I are happy together. Um, what is it about, oh, you don't like the, maybe the space, Zena? Is, Zenny, is it more so like the layout of the home? Yeah, we moved here because I was priced out of my old neighborhood. So it was a change for all of us. And it's um, even though we moved from an apartment to a house, it's a small house and we had to get rid of stuff to move. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tough because it's a different neighborhood. It's not an ideal layout for us because we kind of had to move before uh, mm -hmm. the lease ran out. But um, as far as being here together during COVID, we managed and we're doing pretty well, all things considered. Awesome. Good. And that is difficult because it's not your, your dream home per se, but I love, but positive attitude, you said, but the kids and I are happy. And I would say you do the best that you can, everybody in that area. Like, even if it's something as simple as like, you know, uh, it's an apartment, so you may not be able to paint, but if you can change the color of the walls, make them lighter or whatever will, you know, make you feel better. Bring in flowers, change the curtains, change your sheets, you know, to something happy or brighter or whatever that will help you. And then Rafna Happy Home made a habit to clean at the end of the day and kids and husband. So that's great. And so one of the things too, I want to talk about, it was funny. I, I read something today about, um, the guy Fauci, right? The, the, and he said the one thing that he did not let go of was his housekeeper. And so I wanted to talk about that because that may be something you also need to do if you feel like no matter how small or large your place is, 
you could consider getting a housekeeper once a month to kind of help you get rid of the dust and all of that. And something he said about it was that they found that housekeepers were actually very valuable right now because, right, they are getting rid of the germs in your house and all of the dust. And I don't know if some of you are in California or like I'm in Colorado, we've had a lot of fires and the dust and the ash is amazing. Like every week, I, there's like an inch of dust every seems like five to six days. So even something as simple as treating yourself to a housekeeper and leaving the house for, you know, an hour or two or going outside, they'll give you an opportunity to go outside and get a walk or whatever and come back. That's something good for your health and your family's health and around immunity. Um, other things about the happy home are sharing your plans with your family. That could mean your kids, spouse, even your family long distance. Share with them what you're doing. Share the joy with them. Get them involved. That could be scheduling regular family meetings to talk about fun things, weekend things, um, planning your meals, getting your kids to cook together. That's always something fun as long as they... You know, they know what they're doing, but you could teach them. Exercising together. Um, I will tell you that that is something that uh, my female clients are really good at. I have a wide range of female clients, you know, 20s all the way up actually to 86. And they exercise with their kids, all of them. Their young kids, like babies, like I'll do virtuals with my clients and the dog is right there lying on their belly playing with the ball or the baby's right next to them. Or one of my clients, her daughter is in, um, her daughter's in fifth grade and her daughter jumped out of the bed, came, ran down, danced across the camera. I said, good morning. And then sat right there with her mom, exercised, went and got dressed, went to school. So it doesn't have to just be, and they, and listen, they know, they don't bother them. They know, Hey, this is mom's exercise time. So make sure you're taking time for yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to be alone. Like, if you keep doing it, they'll get it, and they'll just know, oh, that's mom's time. Okay, I'm going to go sit over here and do whatever. Planning a monthly challenge or contest. I mentioned this before. It could be something like, okay, you know what, family? We're not eating too healthy. We're all going to start eating whatever, two vegetables a day. Kids, too. Or kids, you're going to help mommy. I want you to remind me when you see me not drinking water or whatever. And I'll tell you, kids are the best accountability for my clients because they never let them forget. They'll come on the camera and go, hey, Courtney, I saw mom, she ate two pieces of cake. I'm like, you know what? I love you. Thank you for telling me that. Or whatever it is. And it's funny, but it's real. So get your kids involved. And then also you may have some kids that need to be healthier. So make it fun for them. If you know that there are things that they need to work on and health challenges that they're making, then you get involved in their goals. And then the last thing is lead. I can't tell you enough that you have to be a decision maker in your house. You cannot wait for your husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever. And you're like, I, this is not getting done in my household. You have to lead. I've seen households transform. I've seen sick family members, people on medications, and I've told people, look, you have to be the one to change. And that one person changes. And over months, I've seen like disgruntled family members who are like, no, I'm not doing that. I've seen them come around and it's been great. So know that the power lies with you. So that means coming up with a self-care plan, scheduling regular time with your spouse, partners, or your kids, social time, eating time, scheduling meals, 
And most importantly, watching your words, speaking health and positivity. For this week's Women Who Code Conversations, we're celebrating Mother's Day with a conversation between two amazing mothers who are leading in the technology industry. Joey Rosenberg, president of product and communications at Women Who Code, and Yvonne Aldana, director of engineering at TopTown. They discuss how motherhood has affected their careers and how they've managed to find a healthy work-life balance while pursuing their dreams. Enjoy. Hello, and thank you for joining today. I am Joey Rosenberg, president of product and communications here at Women Who Code the world's largest movement dedicated to inspiring women to excel in technology careers. And I am thrilled to be joined for today's show by Yvonne Aldana. She is the network director for Women Who Code Guatemala and also the director of engineering at TopTel. Today, we're gonna be talking about all things motherhood, parenting while working and maintaining your career. And hopefully we can offer some pro tips and practical advice, as well as just sharing a bit about our stories. Um, I'm a mom, I'm a parent of an amazing, um, almost three-year-old. My wife and I have been living in Atlanta and moved to Florida during COVID just to get some outside space and sunshine for us and our daughter. And uh, I'm thrilled to share some of that adventure with you today. Um, Yvonne, uh, a huge welcome to you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about you know who you are and what you do? Okay, thank you, Joey. Um, okay, so I'm a software engineer, the one of the three directors of the Women Who Code Guatemala Network. You know, I am also a teacher. I teach at the public state university in my country, and uh, I am. Um, the proud mother of a eight-year-old little girl. Her name is Adriana. Well, I also love cats very much, and I love my coffee. What else? Well, I've been working on technology for over 15 years. I've been working on teaching about software engineering and software architecture because I really like technology and especially the software engineering process. So yeah, that's, I think, pretty much it. That is amazing. I always am fascinated that people kind of assume that when you become a parent, you stop everything else. And in some ways your world does stop a little bit, but there's so many facets of being a parent. And you were uh, one of the people who started Women Who Code Guatemala a couple of years ago. I would love to hear a little bit about what inspired you to take that step, why you thought Women Who Code was important for your community, and how you balanced that while still teaching and working and being a parent. Well, yeah, so um, I was reached out by Cristina. She's one of the directors. Uh, she was one of my students when I started teaching, and she talked to me about she was feeling inspired about having a teacher who was a woman because the you know the gender gap in technology is you know what it is so there's not a lot of uh women um, teachers in in the university so she reached out to me to talk about women who go and i was so excited because i was you know my daughter was about to be five years old and at the beginning I mean, I hear you are a mother of a three-year-old and that's very challenging. For me, it was like the most difficult time was the first 
three or four years maybe then after the four years it's not easier but like you can plan for other things like they become more independent a little bit so i think it was the right moment for me to take on you know helping uh, the network i was really excited about doing a community like being part of a community of women and uh, because you know I was always the only women in the teams in my school when I was studying and still right now I'm the only woman in my team at work and you know we have very few women in in leadership uh, so I was really excited about helping train women to be leaders and to bring more women into tech knowing that you know technology it's only growing and uh, all of the businesses are using technology so they need to come to to technology right i think it was a good time i started helping out i was not sure about being taking like a leadership role there but then it, it was something that just happened naturally after a year i work in the first year as a leader of um we have focus areas like cloud technology and I was into cloud technology at that time so I was working as a leader there and as a, an evangelist I was uh, taking care of the social networks and then they asked me to be part of the you know the directors because our network had a, a like we grow a lot really fast actually women who go globally as told us like you can have another director so the things are easier in the like for the other two directors so I started last year and it's been very fun uh, I'm not going to lie I, I get tired <laughs> because you know it's it's work and um, on top of the other things that I do I think that the time I take to have my meetings for the projects we have with women who code is time that I am doing to work on myself. And I think that you need to do that to keep your sanity because motherhood is tough. Wow, that is so true. And how you were talking about the different stages. Um, so I'm at the three year mark almost. Uh, I'd love to share a few stories around that and then um, ask you to share kind of where you are now and how that's changed. Being a parent of a three-year-old, I will say is also tiring. I completely share that with you. I'm not sure the last time I had a full night's sleep. That definitely doesn't stop anything. I think uh, my journey to being a mother was unique as everybody's is. Uh, it took us almost a decade to create her. Uh, it was a really long struggle. And so as a result, I'm an older parent, older than I had expected to be. And also I think that's given me a, a really interesting perspective as a parent because she was actually our last attempt. I didn't even think it would work. I was kind of resolved to um, the fact that maybe I wouldn't be a parent. And so we kind of gave it our last shot and then um, our daughter came into the world. And so one of the things that, that that's given me is a perspective around uh, just what a sheer miracle it is that any of us make it onto the earth. And it's made me really, it's made it 
really easy to prioritize her, which means that I deprioritize things like sleep, sometimes self-care, which I'm now learning to, to reprioritize. That's something I'm going through now. When she was born, she came about two weeks early. And it was my first lesson in understanding that I have no control over this whole journey of being a mom. And actually she's in the driver's seat and she's gonna continue to surprise me all along the way. And she's continued to do that. And so in terms of balancing my career, I highly recommend people, if you're thinking about becoming a parent or you're about to be a parent, really take advantage of leave. You definitely need it, or I needed it in the beginning. I wish I had have had longer leave even. And so that kind of early stages were really interesting. My friend told me that in the beginning, it would actually be easier to balance your career. And she was right because my daughter, you know, when they're little, they kind of sleep and they hang out. But as they grow, they suddenly become this ball of energy and they really need you a lot more to be engaged and to help them just experience every day. And so that's the stage we're in now. I'm currently planning a birthday party and um, she's out at the park at the moment. So she's very active. She loves to be outside and I wanna be part of that, right? And so at the same time, I'm balancing my career and um, working. And so definitely means you lose a lot of sleep and I'm just learning how to reprioritize myself and, and self-care. So I would love to learn from you. You're five years ahead of me. Um, how do you do that? And you know, what's it like now that you're past that stage? Um, and, and how do you prioritize that self-care piece? How do you get to the point where you're back to putting yourself um, at least towards the front of the line um, and learning to do that? Well, you know, this is very this this is a very interesting question, interesting question, because I had to deconstruct, I don't know a better word for this the concept of being a mother, you know, of being a mom, because I think it is in, in your head. I don't know how, how it is like in other places of the world, but um, in my country and I think in Latin America, there's mindset or I don't know how to say it about what being a mother is. And it has to do with suffering. Like you have to give up your life, your ambitions, everything, and just take care of your kids. And uh, when, when I, See, like when, when, when we were talking about this discussion and talking about the stages, I was thinking like the first stage for me was I was very afraid that I was not going to be a good mother. That was my first stage. Then my second stage was, okay, the baby is here. And what am I going to do? Like people say, you'll know what to do. Your instinct is going to come up. And, and I was like waiting for the instinct. And it was not, nothing was coming. Like, I didn't know what to do. Why is she crying? Why am I not able to nurse uh, properly? Am I a bad mother because I'm not being able to nurse because my nipples hurt, you know? And so I was actually suffering and not happy about that. I, I started reading this book that was called uh, Rebel Mom, a Rebel Mom or, or something like that. It was in Spanish. And it was about quest questioning the idea that you have about being a mom, because I think the idea that I had about what a mom is, I was not going to meet that expectation from myself and keep my sanity, you know? <laughs> so I needed to deconstruct that part, you know, make time for myself, look out for resources. Like you don't have to do everything by yourself. Um, if you have a partner, ask for help. Also plan for things, do lists and stuff like that, but also take time to unwind from motherhood and just to be yourself. I think that my daughter motivated me to be the woman I am now because when I was pregnant, I didn't know the gender of my daughter. 
but I was hoping for her to be a boy. I didn't know why. Then when I, like I was in my second trimester and I need, like the doctor told me you're having a, a girl. I was not upset, like I was not angry. I was scared because I realized then that in my mind, women come to the earth to suffer or in my country to suffer. So she made me like look out to be part of communities of mothers, but then being part of a, a community of mother, you know, it's hard too because there's expectations of what to be a good mother is like the expectation that I was telling that you, that, that you do in your head, like, right. So maybe question those expectations and evolve as you go through the different years of your child, because the stages, um, I mean, when you ask what stage you are on, you're talking about how old is your daughter or your son, right? But it's actually things change so much. You know, things change. Like when they are babies, you see the changes each week when they are really small. Then you see it every month. Then at six months, there are cognitive changes and you need to react to those changes. It's the same as they grow. So just pay attention to their cues, but also to your own cues, like as a woman, like, like, am I, am I, am I comfortable with this? Like, for example, with the pandemic, I was losing my mind with the school, the school here in my house and my work and my teaching, I was actually losing my mind. So we needed to do things to, to change. I talked to my partner and then we hire uh, a neighbor who's a teacher and she came to help her with the homework because I didn't have time. Like, and it, that's okay. I'm not being a bad mom. I don't know if my, my message is, is like, I hope I, I am making myself um, understandable because what I say is like, pay attention to how you feel as a woman. Like if you are too tired, that's not like, you don't have to suffer. Just try to look for resources for help, ask for help. That would be a, a, something that I will tell you and uh, try to enjoy each stage your daughter or son goes through. Um, try to enjoy that because it happens fast. And you know, people said it's going to happen fast. And then sometimes that's, that's like an excuse to just hang in there, hang in there. Like if you're very tired because it's going to pass and yes, it's true, but also enjoy. It's very important to enjoy each stage. Right? So, and also, you know, there are times where you're going to want to cry and that's fine. Cry. Like it's okay. You know, it's okay to cry and let it all go. Yeah. I think, and thank you for um, saying that uh, for just sharing openly that you're, you're not always sure, right? I feel like this parallels our careers too. I mean, imposter syndrome is real. Parent guilt is real. Mom guilt is real. Um, and so I know for me, resources have been really important. I've read, I read a ton of books, especially in the beginning. Now I like listen to podcasts and, and read blogs and things like that. But I definitely think that just admitting that it's hard work um, it doesn't make it not fun, it, but it is hard. Um, I have a blast every single day being a parent. Uh, and I, I wish people would emphasize that even more too, because even though it is hard, it's really fun. Um, and of course there are days that are more trying than others. So I don't want to discount that if you're out there having a not so fun day. I also agree it will change, right? So just hang on and 
tomorrow or a week from now, it might be different. So for example, my daughter's teething at the moment, which means nobody's getting any sleep. She's cutting her very last molars. And so once we get through this hurdle, I know we'll get back to a normal sleep schedule and a normal eating schedule. So all that's coming, you know, I just have to hang on a couple more weeks. Um, but thank you for saying, uh, for sharing that um, you don't always know if you're doing it right. Um, one of the things I learned early on is that pregnancy brain happens in both uh, gestational parents and, and non-gestational parents. And that's because when you first have a child, you're learning so much that your brain has to dump information. And I think I underestimated how much you have to learn as a parent. Um, I follow this group called Visible Child, and I really like their philosophy. It's just about seeing your child as a, a human, a whole person, and really listening to their voice and listening to their needs. Um, and my wife and I try to use that philosophy um, to just try to see her and hear her. Uh, and I've also really enjoyed, um, if you're in a position, you're, you know, you're at the director level, uh, if you're in a position where you can shape your company culture, for me, it's about showing up honestly. I mean, my team will tell you I show up, my hair's not always fixed. In fact, I would say it's less often fixed than others. I don't always wear on wear makeup. If my daughter needs to run into the room and needs me for a second, I'll, I'll pause and, and focus on her and just welcome her into my world. Um, in whenever she wants to be. So I also have really enjoyed being able to shape company culture by just showing up as me. And I think that's important for everybody to do. But as parents, I think we often think you have to, you know, put your child uh, off in a box or hide them away so you can put on your professional persona, but actually like just show up as you. And I think everything else will fall into place. Uh, but I love when my daughter runs in and wants to say hello to me. And even if I'm on a Zoom call, the other really thing that interesting thing for me that happened is my daughter had her first birthday on a Zoom call because we went into lockdown for the pandemic before she turned one. So she spent um, two thirds of her life in this, this land of COVID. So there's been so much change in the last couple of years. Navigating that with a young child um, or a child of any age, you talked about, you know, the at home schooling being such a challenge. Uh, navigating uh, the world we're in today with a child adds this extra layer of complexity. And what I found in the US, children ages five and above have access to vaccines if, if their parents want them to have access to it. But for people with young children, um, our child doesn't have access to a vaccine yet and won't until it's either approved or we get a couple of years down the road. And so for us, we're still navigating a world where there's a real risk for her um, that we can't mitigate. And I think people have forgotten what that's like. And so when we say things like, oh, we don't, we're not eating in restaurants yet, or we're not doing this yet. I think people have, and at least the people around us have often all kind of forgotten what that's like to navigate that world. And so it's been really interesting to navigate that world with a child and try to teach them the things they need to know to be safe, but also help protect them a little bit and let them be a child and be free and have all the experiences they need to have while trying to keep them safe. So that's been a particular challenge for our family. What has it been like for you these last couple of years? Well, so in my previous, um, when I was talking about things earlier, I was talking about how my daughter made me the woman that I'm today, right? So I started to look for works, remote, remote works, a remote job because of her, because I wanted to be with her. So I can relate to what you say that you, you're bringing her to your, to your world, right? Um, the thing is that I was used to her going to the school, right? 
and then I would have, uh, you know, the meetings that I, you, you sometimes have meetings that you can't be interrupted. Like if you're meeting with a client or something like that. But then when she was here, it was a process to explain to her, like, you know, I'm, I'm on a call and you need to not come here to, to this room. But, you know, with children, it's like repetition, right? If she came to my, like here and hi, and first time it's okay, but you know, this is the type of meeting that you shouldn't be in. So now I just say like, I'm in a meeting and she knows she's not going to come here. And for me, like, I need that space to do my, my work. So in my office, I work. And then outside my office, I am her mom, you know, because at the beginning, it was for a short period of time that we shared, you know, she being here and me being at work because I tried to start really early in the morning so that when she came back from school, uh, I would I would like finish my work really fast and then be with her. But now is the, the whole day, right? Because she's on virtual school, right? So it was hard, it was tough, uh, but I think that if you explain the things to children, and this is something that I think people, um, a lot of people don't get that children are very, very, very smart. <laughs> you need to trust that they understand you. Sometimes they, they, they understand you, but they don't want to do what you're saying, right? But they do understand you and they understand things. So you have to take the time to explain to them, but I'm not going to lie. It was very, very tough at the beginning. Then after the first year, you know, of the pandemic, we had like a better time because she was used to me and my husband being here all the time. So she knew like they are working right now, but then we're going to have lunch and we're going to, to, to chat or they are working right now, but then they, they will end and we'll see a movie or we'll spend some time together. She knows now that she's eight years old. Things, you know, uh, have a time lapse because when they are younger like your child they don't know <laughs> they don't know like they don't have that sense of how much time is one activity going to take right and regarding you know vaccines and stuff like that we don't have the vaccine even though my daughter is eight years old because here in my country we don't have access to that yet she's coming back to school slowly she's going two days a week and you you have no idea how excited she is how they missed being with other kids it's like she has to go like get up very early in the morning. It's still dark, but she does it so happy. Like she, I'm going to school tomorrow and she's so excited about going to school and playing with their friends. And you know, I get emotional just to talk about this because I couldn't wait for her to go and play with other kids. Like the normal days, I don't know with, you know, how to call that, but like when I was younger, going to school was exciting for me. I would love going to school and I see her so happy about going and playing with her friends and meeting her teachers and, you know, just being there with people with the mask and with the putting the gel and stuff like that. But as I told you, they are so smart. They are so smart. Children are so smart. I, I, in the beginning, I was like, they are going to take away their mask. They're not going to do it. They do. They, they are the first, like my daughter is the first who puts on the mask, you know, here. So yeah, it was a very big challenging thing at the beginning, but now I think we are like, we are good. Yeah. It's funny. Even at three, my daughter's that way. She's very happy to wear a mask because she knows she gets to go inside somewhere 
And in fact, if we're going in and we don't have hours on, she'll say, no, 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 mama, you put your mask on. Yeah. So everybody does it. But I agree with you, seeing them light up in those social situations and like, it's also she's slowly returning to those those spaces and like, or in, entering them for the first time in our case. But like seeing them light up is amazing. Another topic that comes up quite often with parenting, people say, oh, how how have you changed? So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Um, I got some great advice from a woman named Cheryl Conti, who I think is phenomenal. Uh, she I met her when I was probably I I must have been nine months pregnant. Uh, no, that's not true. I was um, I could because I couldn't fly um, here. You're you're re it's recommended that you don't fly after a certain period of time, and um, I went right up until the very last minute traveling that I that my doctor would allow. Uh, because before I became a mom, um, I traveled about 50% of the time for work and for volunteering. And um, Cheryl told me, look, when you become a mom, you're going to become a new person. And you have to let go of everything that you think you know about yourself and then rise like a phoenix from the ashes as this new person. And so she's like, the faster you can get on board with this concept, the better. And I, I really think about that advice a lot of the time because. I think uh, before you become a parent, of course, you're, you're, you're in this stage of your life where you don't have children and then you become a parent and it's like you want to pull all of these great things about yourself forward and stay true to yourself and at the same time understand what this new version of yourself is. So for me, I was really worried about what my life would look like as a new mom and traveling all the time because I love to travel. It's like in my soul. It's. I, I shaped my whole career and my education and my volunteer experiences around um, kind of being a nomad. I, I mentioned um, at the beginning of COVID, we moved to Florida. Like I've never been afraid to change ge geographies and in fact prefer just immersing myself in different cultures and different experiences around the world. And so I was really worried about that coming into parenthood. So when I, when I first came back to work, uh, one of my very, very first travel experiences that we, um, I went to Merida, Mexico, and we had a leadership event. I cried the entire way to the airport, I, just sobbing in the, my Uber all the way to the airport. I, I felt terrible because I, I had a really tough postpartum period. I, I physically felt terrible. And so in Mexico, I'm in this place that I really wanted to explore. I, I so appreciate the network um, in Merida. And we actually flew in folks from, from other parts of Mexico. And I so wanted to spend time with them and, and go exploring with them. And I just physically couldn't. And it was really, really hard for me emotionally to realize, okay, your body is telling you, you need something different than what you maybe needed even six months ago before you had this child. And so I, it, it was a really big wake up call to me that something was gonna have to be different. And so I started trying to figure out this, this new version of me as a parent. Um, and then it, it didn't seem like that far into the future when things started shutting down. Um, I was getting ready to head to India in February of 2020. And that's when kind of everything started, started shutting down and the very first time we had to cancel a conference. And to be honest, I had worked myself up. I was so prepared for this trip to be away and I was ready to do it and like really fiercely step back in um, to this space uh, emotionally, I felt so ready. And then when that happened, it surprised me at how big of a relief it felt um, to, to be able to stay home during that period of time. 
And of course, I missed the pieces that I, I really had wanted to go and see the, the team in Bangalore. And I really wanted to be there and wanted to have that experience. But there was some some part of me that felt relieved. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn from that. What, what's going on here? Um, and then, of course, many, most of us, uh, maybe everyone listening to this has spent some time, um, if not a lot of time, at home in the last few years since the pandemic. Uh, and I had to learn to sit still because of that. And that was really hard for me. But at the same time, I got this huge gift of spending time with my child every day and not sleeping in hotel rooms and not being on the road. And I, I came to really love it. I love spending time with her every day. And I love being able to go visit her when I have a, 10 minutes between meetings or something like that. And so what I have carried forward from the pre-mom me, is that I still love adventure. I still love to travel, even though it looks different now. We do a lot of, lots and lots of road tripping. And I still want to explore the world with my daughter when it, when it feels safe for her to do that. But the things that have changed is that I 100% want to be in a remote workplace. I don't think I ever, at least for the, the next couple of years while she's still young, definitely don't want to go back to an office full time. That's that's just off the table for me. Those are some things that I'll definitely hang on to. And while travel is important, there's a there's a different kind of priority I have around it. If it's if it's in the kind of travel, so I want to travel with my family uh, and work them into that. Um, where I used to be, you know, happily kind of going off on my own. So I think a lot of that has changed. Um, what about you? What's changed for you and and what did you hold on to? How what was that transition like for you? Oh well, I wrote what I wanted to talk. You know what what have I how how I changed? I've changed so much. I don't think I'm a different person like all over because I still have my core things that make me me. But I had to, you know, practice empathy. Like I think my daughter came and teach me that. That's an important thing. Another thing is that I like I sur I surprise myself about things that I enjoy. Like I was telling you that it was hard to be in like having the school here in my house doing homeschooling and stuff like that. But when that happened, like when that passed, like my daughter gets to say my mom and dad teach me to write and read because we did like that was our job right so that's so cool and she's has spent more time with me and my and my husband than like in this time of being here than i ever did with both my parents through my whole childhood because we've had breakfast together lunch together dinner together and talk a lot it's that's very great and i enjoy it because you know like for me, being a mom at the beginning was a struggle. When I was, I had a really traumatic um, birth uh, because my daughter was ahead of her time. I don't know how to say this in English, but I, I had her when I was starting my eighth month of uh, pregnancy. So it was very tough. And as you say before, like that was the first thing that make real for me like you don't you no longer are going to do plants <laughs> you have to improvise right and uh so that changed for me because i'm very methodic i like to have a plan and have lists and have everything in place and that's the way that i do my work but being a mom changed that because you know you have to because if, if you don't if you don't improvise like if you don't uh are dynamic about your plants 
and you know your personal plans and your career plans too because i was approached by a lot of uh, companies at the beginning of like uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to work but to move to that place you know to spain and other places and colombia and but I was like, no, I want my daughter to be raised in my country and have uh, interaction with my family and my husband's family because family is very important for us uh, in Latin America. So I didn't used to enjoy family gatherings. I don't all the time still, but now when I see her interacting with her cousins and her aunts and stuff like that, I enjoy that, you know, and I know she's very happy. So that changed for me too. And uh, regarding the career, my career, it opened up for me when I started to look for jobs outside my country and start working with companies that work remotely. I have a better paycheck now. Uh, so that's good. I think I have, um, I feel more, more comfortable about change and about not following a plan because of motherhood than now if I am in the remote uh, companies and things change because in my first job was like a company was being sold and so I was moved to another company or I was part of a reef, you know, a releasing force and I had to look for another job or another team. Now I'm not afraid of that. I used to be very afraid about not being able to find a, a job, you know, fast enough to cover my expenses. But now it's like things change and I need to get on board with that and I'm doing it and I'm making it. That's something that I think motherhood brought to me. I cannot agree more. 100%, I think, uh, change is something that being a parent will teach you really fast. I also think it's interesting what you're saying about that whole uh, thinking about career differently. So we often get asked in the community, um, when should I start planning to have a child? And in my experience, I, it took me so long uh, to create her. Um, I, I started planning way far in advance. And if I had started making career decisions that early, I would have been shaping my whole life around a child that wasn't here yet. And so from my perspective, I'm like, well, the best thing you can do is work for a company that values you. So look for companies that have good parental leave as a component, especially in the U.S. where it's not required by law to have parental leave. So um, look for a company that when it's time, you'll have access to that benefit. But you know, before you have children, take take the risk. You, you know, it's okay to make some different career decisions. And then there will be a period that comes where, at least for me, once you have a child, there's a period of time where you really need some stability if that's possible. But as you say, as things change, you figure it out. You, you go with the flow and you figure it out and those things will come. But there is a point in time where you can start making career decisions again. And so it's only a, it's only a short window in the scheme of your career, uh, but make sure you go for it uh, for as long as you can and then pause when you need to pause. That would That would be my advice. And then make sure that when that time to pause is over, and if you want to go for it, go for it again. You don't you don't have to to stop because you're a parent. You can still build your career. What do you think? Does that resonate with you, or do you have any different advice you want to? Add? No, it definitely does. Like when if if somebody asks me when should I apply for a child, and if that's something that has to do with the career, I don't know. Like do what you love for work, and even if you don't do what you love, do what you're good at. On, on work and you know one thing is technology is like 
a big like the industry is so big you can go to many areas and um i don't know i i feel like as women sometimes we think a lot like more than we should uh, on taking and making decisions but what i've seen is that when you are when you say i'm doing it and then no matter what happens i'm doing it you will do it just like i know it sounds very cliche like believe in yourself but it's true like <laughs> you should believe on your capabilities you should believe that you can learn new things and as glennon doyle said you can do hard things i love that saying i use it a lot because like you can do hard things like if you take a pause for example you were saying uh, sometimes uh, people can afford to take a pause. In my case, I couldn't afford to get a pause. You know, I had my maternity leave because I was working for a company based in Guatemala in my country. So I, I, I took three months because I took all my vacations and all my maternity leave. It was three months. And that's what that was fine for me in my case. I went to work and wanted to go to work because I was very overwhelmed with my newborn. So I went to work. I had, uh, like here in my country, we have help with of, of our parents, even if we don't want to. They are like, <laughs> I'm helping you with your baby. Like, you don't get a say, almost. So they will take, like, they will take my daughter and, and take care of her the first two years. Uh, so I went to work. But then when she was like a three-year-old and she was like I was getting to know her and her personality because they talk more, they have more conversation. As you are with your child right now, I guess, like she has, or he has, I don't remember if a boy or girl, but they have their own personality and you're getting to know them and it's very interesting. And I had a break of a, the Holy Week. We take a week of vacation here at, in my country. When I get back to work, I was crying because I wanted to be more time with her. And that was what inspired me to get a remote job, right? And then the remote job came with all the instability that I was telling you about. But honestly, like what I did to get the job was to put myself and study, like sit down and study and learn things, learn about technology, and then take risks and apply to the positions, even though I didn't like have all the check marks for all of the positions, apply to the positions, go to interviews and do things and and, and I was able to get my job. And I had to repeat this a lot of times in my career and I've moved a lot. And it's like, I have a lot of, um, I, I've learned a lot from change. And that's something that, you know, I felt very bad about my career because I have um, a lot of different areas. I've worked in different areas. And I was upset about that because I thought there's like, if someone wants a back-end developer, a front-end developer, a full-stack developer. I mean, I've done some development. I've done some project management. And I have a lot of little pieces. Then one friend of mine in the community told me, you know what, you need to read a book that's called Range by David Epstein, I think, where, they, where he talks about the uh, how you generalists. And that's why I'm, I am. And then I own it. Like, I own what I know, and I own what I've been, and I use that to get new jobs. So I think that we have to use what we have. We have to use the resources we have. And um, like I don't want to be like a motivational speaker here, but I do think that we need to believe in what we can do. That's very, very, very important. And if you want to have a child, do it. Like, do it. We don't know what we're like. 
you are you have no idea what you're getting into because I think you know what to, to be a parent once you are a parent. Like you you see that and you think I'm going to be like this kind of mom. Like I wanted to have a natural birth. birth. I wasn't able to because my daughter came and it was an emergency. I wanted to do nursing for a year because that's the best gift you you give to your child. I wasn't able to do that and that's fine. Like make peace with things. I think that that would be okay. I'm over here laughing because uh, same experience, like birth plans, birthing plans. I don't even know why we do that to ourselves. I, I feel like because um, we went through this whole parenting class and they gave us all these forms to fill out about what we wanted. And I, I realize now looking back that they just have you do that to make you feel like you have some sense of control. But it just goes right out the window, like literally nothing happened. I think the only thing that happened that was on my birth plan was the music playlist. <laughs> like, I think that's it. Um, it yeah, you you. You are, are, yeah, you don't, it's, it's out of, it's definitely not yours to choose. Um, you have to learn to go with the flow. So thank you for saying that. Okay, so I want to ask uh, two final questions here. So one, um, I want to come back to the joy of parenthood. I really enjoyed listening to your stories. And I have really loved listening to you talk about your child and talk about parenting and being a mom. What's your favorite thing about being a mom? Um hearing my daughter talk about the things I talk because it's so funny. Like I look at a lot of things about fighting for women's rights and including women in technology. So it's so funny to see how she's absorbing everything. Like you may, you think that she's not listening to you because she's doing her own thing and, and uh, painting or whatever. And you're, you're talking like I'm having a meeting with the women who go Guatemala team or something like that. Then she has a project, a technology project now, and uh, she has to do a game. You know, the name of the game is Cats Who Code. But it's so funny because like she doesn't know how to write in English because we are native Spanish speakers. So she writes it as she hears it. It's so fun. The most fun thing for me is seeing her being herself, but having pieces of me. I love seeing pieces of me in her. Not all the pieces are good because she has a temper and I have a temper. So, but that's, I think that's the most fun for me. And also I love cooking with her, like doing cupcakes and stuff like that. And I love that she knows if you ask her how to do a cake, she knows it. I love how she learns things. And uh, I love how genuine is when she's happy, when she's enjoying things, the, the true happiness, you can see it in her eyes. I love that part of, of being a mom. That's amazing. Yes, plus one to all of that. And um, I'm gonna add curiosity. I love how curious my daughter is about everything and she's just constantly learning i agree with you they're just like soaking it up and it's funny to see it come back in these ways that you can't imagine uh, but i love how curious she is about the world and i love exploring the world with her and going on adventures with her i just think there's so much joy um, that she's brought into my life i i definitely love I, I feel like it's an absolute honor to be her mom so last i want to close with uh pro tips so if there are working moms out there listening to this or people who are about to become parents or moms, what advice would you offer them? 
my number one advice would be to ask for help when you need it. You're not being weak. It's okay to ask for help. You know, that's my number one. And then uh, trust yourself. Read a lot because we don't know everything and it's, it's, it's okay. But also when you're reading authors or blogs or whatever, don't take one opinion. Just have a lot of, of different opinions from different people and take what it feels good for you when it comes to making decisions as a parent. And number three, and very important, try to enjoy every stage. It's hard, but try to enjoy everything. Try to do it. Like try, try to look at your child each day in the eyes and see how much they love you. You know, my therapist, because I'm in therapy, she, she tells me that children from zero to seven years old, the only thing they want is their parents to love them. That's everything they ask from their parent. They don't care about things. They just want to have your love. So just make sure to show them that you love them. I think that that would be my three, my three tips. That's amazing. I think my pro tips would be parent the child that's right in front of you. I 100% agree with reading, look at all the resources, but every child is different. All, every person is different, right? And so if a child is a person, so I think they come with their own unique needs and their own quirks and likes and dislikes. So parent the child that's right in front of you. So take all of that advice and figure out which one applies um, to, to your child. Uh, be there for them, just like you were saying. And then I would say apply that same advice to you as you're trying to balance your career. Go for the career that's right in front of you. And when you need the part of your career that gives you more space for your child, do that. When you don't, do that. You just have to lean into wherever you are in, in your career. Um, and then the last piece I would say is model being a parent wherever you are, because that's who you are. Don't be afraid to show up to work that way um, and let them be part of your life every, everywhere you are. It'll it'll make your workplace experience um, that more more uh, rich if you're allowed to, to do that, if you can can make that space and it'll create more time to be with your your kiddo. So um, thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your experience and being honest um, about this whole journey of being a parent, of being a mom. Um, I hope uh, everyone listening will um, join us at Connect Recharge. That's our conference that's coming up. If you want to connect with more technologists, including technologists who are also moms um, and also parents, I uh, hope to see you there. And thanks again for listening. On this week's Women Who Code Career Math segment, we're highlighting a discussion entitled Mothers in Tech, Balancing Kids and Code, with Eileen Cerny, retired master software engineer at Capital One, Allison Meehan, security operations center analyst at Binary Defense, and Haley Ortega, head of product at Epon Technologies. Enjoy. I'm wondering kind of two parts. Were you, were you working outside the home when your children were born or adopted? And then if there's anything you wanna share um, if you were working outside the home at the time about your experience taking maternity leave, accommodations that were and weren't offered by your workplace and things like that. And anybody can jump in. All right, I actually, um, 
I just had to, had to bring this up, even though it's so far out of anyone's experience. But as I said, I was living on a commune when I had my first child. We actually had a 40-hour work week. And, you know, they had been developed to, to try to make a better way of living. Their maternity leave policy was you had, you didn't have to work at all the first two months after a child. And then the, the next month you worked four hours a week. And the next month you worked eight hours a week. So it was this really gradual coming back into things. And I, it was wonderful. And because the childcare was people you knew and it was right there on the farm. Like when I was working an office shift, people could bring my daughter to me to nurse and then take her back. It was lovely. Um, so obviously, and then I had my second one, I was actually at home. My third one, I ended up taking a year off and I had, um, I had asked my company, I said, I would like to take a year off and not paid, just take it off and come back. And they couldn't do that for me. So I was like, okay, so I quit. And then at the one year mark, my boss actually called me and said, could you come back and do something on contract for me? And that did eventually morph into a full-time job back there. So even though the company couldn't offer it, my boss still sort of made it work. So that was nice for me. But yeah, I've been, I've been at various times, single mom, working mom with a house husband, working mom with a, another working spouse and stay home. So yeah, I've done all the varieties. A wise woman gave me advice, like when I was going back to like go back starting on like a Wednesday, I think it was, so that I didn't have to do a full work week the first week back, because it's very hard when you're separated from uh, your baby <laughs> in the beginning. Um, so that was really um, great advice. I think, you know, I worked all the way up until the day of. I remember <laughs> with my second calling in in the morning and be like, I don't feel so good. I think I'm going to work from home today and ended up having uh, my baby, um, but that's just, I was, had a great pregnancy, not to like brag and, um, you know, and was doing fine. So I worked right up until having my um, children. I think uh, for me, one of the like best accommodations was getting that three months of 100% pay, that maternity leave, um, because I remember I had C-section as well uh, for my kids. And I remember like after six or eight weeks, still not feeling great, like still recovering, still not sleeping, and just thinking about women that don't have that um, benefit and that do have to go back to work. And I was like, you know, they're amazingly strong, but like, you know, I just felt so blessed to have that extra time because you really need it just to recover um, and to like adjust to the new way of life. Um, so yeah, I think maternity leave um, definitely should be a benefit that all women get and it should be a good length of time. Yeah, I was just going to comment. I think um, Ankara's, some of the things that she had said were things that I had put down in some notes that I wanted to share, which, you know, thinking back on it, you know, I, I felt like it was great to have some time off when the baby was born, but I, I felt like um, it would be nicer to have it spread out actually, rather than like you, it's almost like such a jolt after like, you know, being home for a couple of weeks and then, okay, now you're full time. So to, you know, have that, that gradual uh, phase in, or maybe you go back and then you take off um, a couple of weeks later, you know, so I see at Capital One, they have, you know, parental leave. And I was seeing like some of the, um, the dads were only taking a week off or two at the beginning and they would take another two weeks off later. So I kind of like being able to have that leave to spread out. So that was one thing, was one comment and it sort of fit in with what Cara was saying. Um, and the other thing that I really felt would have been helpful was like 
is again, it sounded like what she was saying was like, I'm gonna call it sabbatical leave where you say, you know what? I just need to take more than a month, two months, three months off. I need to take a year. Like I just need that year and then um, and come back and have, so it seems like it's a good investment for the company. And I, I'd love to see that be something that um, some of the tech companies would offer for you know, working moms, parents to have some sort of sabbatical leave where you could take off a longer period of time and know that you had that job to go back to because without it, I think working moms don't go back. If technology is so hard to go back to. And, you know, I was just really impressed with some of the other ladies' stories because I was like, oh, I was out for six years. It was hard to go back. I, I can't imagine being out longer. It just was one of the hardest things I ever did was leaving technology and going back into it. So um, anything that you can do to kind of keep that connection would be good. And, um, and to answer the question, yeah, I, I, I um, worked up until my kids were born. I went back to work after they were born, a couple of, probably about eight weeks after they were born. Um, and the thing that struck me the most about it, and again, this was back in the 1990s, you know, um, in the early 1990s, is that there was an expectation that I wouldn't come back to work. People were like, you're coming back. And then when I went back, they were like, really? Like your state, you know? So I didn't, I remember feeling like, I don't like people making that assumption for me. I wanted to make my own decision and it sort of made me feel kind of bad. So I think it's such a personal decision. So, I mean, that's sort of when I think about it, the accommodations then as, you know, today that they really just need to be, let each person make their own decision and support that is because there's not one answer for everybody, whether you continue to work or you don't continue to work. I mean, I think um, times have changed now. And I think, you know, maybe it is, maybe you can continue to work with kids, um, but it's definitely a juggling act. It's not, it's not easy. I think that's a really good point, Eileen, about, um, kind of how people's attitudes and policy interact and inform each other that maybe if there was more of a cultural idea of expecting people to to drop out and not come back then why would you bother putting into place policies at your company that are supportive of working women right um, which then makes it more difficult for women who want to stay um, any other thoughts on that question or should we move on um, and of course, like if people think of things later on, any other accommodations that you wished workplaces had offered or do offer now, um, for example. So um, next, I'm wondering how becoming a parent has impacted your career and your relationship with work. I mean, I can go first again. <laughs> I, I've spent some time thinking about these things. I actually, um, the funny thing is, like I said, I, I was on a commune because I didn't really want to get a job. I didn't want to, I wasn't motivated by making money. I wasn't motivated by staying on the straight and narrow. None of that interested me until I had kids. And I'm like, okay, I need to get serious now. You know, I have people to take care of now. I've got to, I've got to get my career going. So it was, it was the main motivator for me to have a career was having children. <clears throat> And since I didn't work before then much, I mean, I was a cook at Denny's, that doesn't count, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, there wasn't a transition for me. It didn't have that before and after. Yeah, I, I kind of add on to that to say, you know, I had worked for six years before I had kids. So I had had a good amount of work experience and 
I had no idea that once I had kids, that they would always be the first thing that was on my mind when making a decision about work, you know, where I was going to work, how many hours I was going to work. Uh, you know, that's always, it's like, before you had kids, you had no idea that that was going to be, like in, in your case, the motivating factor. It was motivating, but it was also a consideration. But before that, it was like, oh, what am I interested in? What do I want to do? I'm going to go pursue this or that. Um, and that totally changed um, once I had kids. So coming back around again to kind of accommodations in the workplace for parents, um, we talked a little bit about uh, maternity leave and when your child has first arrived. Um, but what about when your kids have grown beyond infancy? What accommodations did you or did you not have access to at various points in your career? I know someone, I think it was Allison mentioned part of the impetus for her staying home for a while was that she couldn't get her kids into a good daycare. Um, so access to childcare as an example. And kind of going along with that, what do you think would be important accommodations that workplaces should consider adding to better support mothers and parents in the workplace? I guess I can speak to kind of pre-COVID. I have to think a little bit deeper to think about like now, but I know for me, something that's very uh, special um, now that my kids are in elementary school is like going on a Friday to have lunch with them at school or going on a field trip or going to their classrooms for the parties and like being engaged with um, their school activities. So having like the flexibility uh, or like a bonus day to like go do those things um, is really important. Um, again, it's quite different now with COVID, but I still think like, um, you know, uh, for example, holidays, right? Like yesterday was a holiday um, and got to spend really good quality time with my kids. So I think, um, yeah, that's something, you know, employers should really consider is like, are, you know, how do we make sure parents have enough quality time with their kids and not just, um, you know, the evenings when you're tired and you get off of work, but like, how do we actually, um, yeah, just have a day off during the week to go actually do quality um, activities with our kids and make memories. Yeah, that's a really good point, Haley. I feel like I've, I've been fortunate to work places where I've seen my coworkers who are parents um, like there is a culture of doing that that is clearly set, but I haven't seen it like codified anywhere. And I, I, I like that idea a lot. I, I remember reading at some point that it's sometimes hard to get it codified because non-parents get upset about it <laughs> or something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think flexibility is such a big part of it. Like um, I know I had one coworker who had made arrangements with her management that she could go home and meet the bus every day. And you know, she still worked her hours, but she got to go home and to see the bus. I think she skipped lunch or something. And it was just, you know, that was what was important to her. And so to allow people that flexibility, you know, to, to get your job done and still still be where you need to be when you I mean, for me, I had I had one child who was uh, had a lot of um, issues, mental disabilities, and I frequently was called off to like pick him up from school or had to talk to people on the phone or whatever. Um, but I just, you know, I was just lucky not to have micromanagement so I was like able to run off and make up a little on weekends or something and that was even before you know before we could we had laptops like it was everything was desktops and I but I would come in on the weekend sometimes to make up so that's I mean that kind of flexibility I think it's just huge uh, absolutely not for parents especially but for everyone you know the the work week was designed with the assumption that 
you had somebody at home whose full-time job was managing house and errands and everything. And we all know <laughs> how that goes in the modern world. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask more specifically, um, one of my colleagues in Women Who Code kind of posed this question. There's more and more companies that are starting to go remote, kind of um, COVID, I think, kicked that off even harder than that trend that was already happening. And, and then are revamping their benefit packages as a result. Um, some places I've seen this are offering childcare stipends or other related perks. What do you guys think about that? Is that something that would make a job a lot more attractive to you or something something else along those lines? Um, Yeah, I um I worked at Capital One before and they had something, it was like a flex spending account for dependent care. And so you could put in kind of tax free money and they matched up to um, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, which is a lot of money, even though daycare is, as we know, like college tuition uh, for a year. But um, yeah, I think that's actually a really good benefit um, to help parents out because daycare is very expensive. And especially if you're working from home, it's, you know, you still need it, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I just, I, I think the, the working remote, that flexibility, I mean, and again, things have changed with COVID, but that really before that, that was that was hard. That was really a hard thing to do. So, um, you know, thinking back on my career, I might have done things differently had you know that been an option to be able to work remote or maybe even part time. Um, so, you know, that those are I think attractive benefits. I have my I didn't tell you the ages of my kids. They're thirty and twenty five. So they're they're grown pretty much and. You know, and, and to them, what's really important is the flexibility too. So the, you know, work remote, um, it's not that it has to be all the time, but um, I think that's something that for working moms, it really allows you to maximize your, your time. I think, you know, it's like, you don't have that, that um, commute time involved and you can, you know, get the kids off the bus and then come back in and jump on a Zoom call if you need to. Yeah, one of my male coworkers actually was doing that. He was driving his kids to school. Actually, I've had two different male coworkers in the last two years who did that. They drove their kids to school every day and then were, you know, back in time to be on the Zoom meetings kind of thing. Or someone's taking them on the phone in the car. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think one of the things I kind of, well, I don't know, does anyone want to talk to that yet? Because I had something else I kind of wanted to say. Um, well, one of the things that, you know, flexibility is so important, but I think also speaking up for ourselves is huge too. And um, I was thinking about like, I mean, my mom back in the 70s, she wasn't in tech, but she was in, um, uh, I forget, something high up. Um, but she uh, uh, she negotiated to have, be four days a week. So she was home on Mondays. And so all of our music lessons and doctor's appointments were on Mondays. And then she'd be off in Jersey, like out of state uh, the other four days. Um, and that was how she made it work. And um, and yeah, the um, when I when I started back, I you know I always said oh you can't find part time technical work and I managed to find a it was only ten hours a week but it worked a technical contractor um, part time for a while so it's it's possible and like more and more I think it should be more possible um, especially with the remote um, that you should be able to do part time if, if that's what works and I mean yeah I, I hopefully the workplaces are getting more flexible but but I think it's also really important to speak up I was um, 
I had one experience. It was actually when I was a contractor at Capital One, and we had a very young male manager. And this was, you know, I started a week before COVID. So we were all at home and we we're all new to it. And one of my young female coworkers said, asked if um, she would be able to log in on the weekend and do some more work on the weekend. And the manager was like, why would you want to do that? And she said something about, um, or you shouldn't need to do that. And he said, she said something about her daughter. I don't remember if school let out or she said, I don't know, something. And he still didn't understand it. And I said, she's asking for some flexibility to work around her daughter's schedule. And he's like, oh, okay. Because you have, you, know, you have to really ask for it. Sometimes you have to make it clear and say, you know, this is what I need. Can, can we do this? And, and it's not always easy to do. Yeah, especially if you, this is actually, Cara, thank you for the perfect segue into my next question. Um, especially in organizations where there are fewer women or fields where there are fewer women present, right, to maybe make those things salient. So no secret, right? The women who code exists in part because men still outnumber women in the tech world. Um, we're working to change that, but haven't caught up yet um, to closing the gap. So I'm wondering if there is anything specific any of you think of um, regarding being a mother, a parent, and working in tech that you think is important for us to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. So, so I did the boot camp at the University of Richmond, um, and it was all online. And my two-year-old sat in my lap a lot during the class because, uh, like, it was bedtime. The class was from 6.30 to 9.30. So, you know, he, my husband just, it, at that age, it was really hard for my husband to get him to bed. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's just funny though. Cause like, I think there was only, yeah, there's only one other woman and she didn't have a kid, but um, most, most people didn't say anything, but there was this one kid, it was like 19. And he was like, he, one time he said, there are old people on this. He, I, he was totally making a joke. But he, did, he said, there are old people on this, in this class. Like some people even have kids. <laughs> just that it was like a very, um, I mean, it's fine. He he was probably, you know, at 19, it's probably hard during the coronavirus to be home for that long, isolated from your friends. I don't know. But it was, I, I'm sure he was just trying to be funny, but it, it was pretty insensitive. But um, I guess, uh, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I feel like people have mostly gotten more tactful over the last couple, like two, three, four years. But um, still, like little things, especially when you're a new mother, I think, little things coworkers say can really hurt you a lot. Cause like your emotions and stuff, right. When you've had a baby can be kind of running high. Like, like when people are disparaging about working mothers and how you should be a stay at home mom with your kids. It's like, I got that. I was in a very old, like um, a workplace that had like pe just people who really, um, they weren't like, I, I guess they were like, it was mostly environmental people, which I am, but um, they just have kind of more old fashioned views. Like you should be home with your kids, playing with them, going out in nature, which I mean, I totally think that's great. But, um, you know, they kind of, uh, you know, they said some kind of negative things about trying to work when your kids were at daycare. Um, although I, I don't think that that didn't really like influence me or anything, but I like what you were saying, um, Cara, like I should have stuck up, up for myself more. I think that was one mistake I made. And I, I feel like I should have also like maybe worked with HR some. Um, I had a job that required me to travel overnight a ton and it really wasn't fair. Like they, they should have moved me. Um, and they, they probably should have had some option for me to like switch cause I had a baby. But um, 
not, nobody suggested that. And I didn't, I think I didn't, didn't want to seem, um, I didn't want to seem like I couldn't do my job, but anyway, it, it just ended up driving me out of there. So. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Allison. I'm sorry that you had those experiences. I think it's a good reminder to everybody that um, tech especially is a field where there are lots of folks who are changing careers, coming in later, and we need to make everybody feel welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, was thinking that it's, we talked about communication, um, like sticking up for yourself, but um, it, it's communication all around, both with your partner, you know, um, when you decide to have a family, I think you need to kind of talk with them as well. I mean, you talk, definitely talk with your manager um, because there's going to be points in your career where you're like, you know, for now, um, this is, this other thing's more important. And I remember having a conversation with my husband and I'm like, you know what, like, um, like whose career is, are we pushing right now? We can't push both careers at the same time. We can't both have number one priorities. And you had to kind of make a hard decision to say, well, okay, so we're going to push your career now, you know, and my chance will come, you know, later. And just to communicate, I mean, it was just much clearer when like a kid got sick or something happened very suddenly. It's like, okay, like, you know, if you've got an important meeting and I have a meeting, but you're, we've decided your career, it's like, it was easier to make those decisions. So communication, um, both with your partner, as well as, as with your manager. And, and if you can find a mentor, that's, that would be really helpful. I, I found it, I think someone said about the kind of being isolated. I, it really, tech can be kind of an isolating career for women because there's not as many. And I love seeing all, you know, all these faces here, um, you know, where you feel comfortable sharing some of that kind of information and how you feel because you feel like you're always trying to um, I remember when I was saying like they didn't think I was going to come back. I felt like I had to prove myself like, well, wait a minute, like that's my decision. And so you end up doing that. And then you're not really fully yourself because I put up a big wall. That's like, you know, it's like, no, nope, nobody passed this wall because, you know, you don't you don't get it. So, um, yeah, it's it, tech. Tech is, is is hard. And I think, oh, there he is. <laughs> um, so communication, I just think all around is really important um, for, for, um, working moms. Yeah, I guess I was lucky that I mostly was a, a data analyst in a department, not in tech. So I was, there was still more men than women, but not as severe probably where I was. Yeah. And I'm similarly, you know, as a product manager, there's a lot more, uh, women, I think in my field, but, um, I definitely try with, you know, tech teams that I have, if there is just one other woman, I'm very conscious about asking for her input, making sure she has, you know, an opportunity to speak. Like if I tell, if I can tell that the team is like excluding her or making her feel bad, like I'm the first to like stand up for her. Um, so I also think like that um, allyship, right. And like uh, we can look out for each other. Yes, we should speak up. We should, you know, also look out for each other. Um, and I think more and more as women get those opportunities to speak and like really be part of the team, the team will begin to see the value, get more comfortable with it, like understand that, you know, it's a level playing field. Um, so yeah, I think we're on the right track when it comes 
um, to that. Beautiful. Side, side plug, we do have a channel in our Women Who Code Slack um, for people who are looking for mentors or interested in mentoring. So encourage people to check it out. Um, feel free to message Melissa or me if you need help getting set up in our Slack space. Um, and also, all, this is all great. Thank you all for sharing. I've, I've been thinking as you guys are talking as a sort of side question, because you mentioned allies, Haley, what can men and non-parents do to help? What are things that we should be talking about in our workplaces or making sure we do to help our parent, coworkers, folks we manage um, have an easier time? I think I would just say like to be sure to ask for their input, um, help them be heard and ask how they're doing, right? Like <laughs> mother or father at home, like we're going through a lot. So just check in and, and see how they're doing and, um, you know, find ways to, to help them when you can. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, if, if possible, if the employers have like a, a, a range of options, right? When, when you start having, like if, if you're talking with your manager and you're struggling, if there's a range of op options just to make those available so that you can, you know, keep your employees. Cause I know that's one of the big problems is women drop out and they don't come back to the workforce. And then they have to, you know, it's really hard hiring good people. So, um, you know, I think just encouraging um, parents to know that, you know, there are options and there are things that they can do and it doesn't last forever. Your kids do grow up and, you know, it's, it's usually, I think back, it's just, it's, it's, there's a period of maybe five or six years when it's just really chaotic. That's, that's all I've got to say is if you have more than one kid, it starts to get really chaotic when they get to want to play with friends or need to be at sporting activities or you need to be at some school meeting. So there's, but it's just for a certain period of years. So um, I am, because I'm wondering, I think our discussion has centered somewhat so far around I don't want to say deficits, but like problems that need to be accommodated, ways that people need to be, you know, advocating more, or getting help from allies, et cetera. I'm curious from more of a strengths lens, what you think being a parent gives you in terms of strengths and skills that you bring to the workplace. Um, people already mentioned it sort of being the impetus for their, for their careers. Um, and then especially if there's anything specific to the tech world, but more generally, for example, like, oh, I had to get way more organized. Or, I don't know if that's a bad example. What, what strengths do you think you have um, or that give, becoming a parent has given you that you bring to the workplace? I would say perspective and, and definitely like prioritization. I, I mean, really thinking about what's important and letting go of the things that aren't. Um, so that's really and then asking for help if you need it. So those are the things that I, you know, I wouldn't have done before, but you get to a point where you have to ask for help. But that just real quick, I think of like a, it was a prioritization or letting go of something. I remember when I went back to work full-time after being out of the workforce, I remember telling my husband, well, now I need you to make the kids lunches because I used to do that when I was home. And we had this big, you know, kind of argument about it and he said well the kids can make their own lunches they're old enough now and I was just like and I finally just had to let go of it and I say my my youngest son ate peanut butter and jelly for six years straight that's what he took <laughs> to school but he survived it and it was like 
I had to let that one go. And so that's, you know, um, I think that, so just the perspective, like that's okay. You, you don't have to do all things, um, you know, and, and be able to let, let those things go. Yeah, I second the prioritization skill. I mean, I think I could go on and on about the strengths that we bring, uh, women in general, but especially mothers bring that extra spice. Um, but I would also add like, because we always have so much going on, like we tend to be organized, even if we don't think we are, we're, we're organized and good at getting stuff done uh, so we can drive things forward um, and get things done. And then I think, you know, perspective and like empathy and especially in the tech world, right? Where we really need, everyone needs to be thinking about user experience and putting yourself in someone else's shoes and like um, figuring out what pain points are. I think as mothers, we um, we have that skill and we can bring that to our teams and, and to our products. One thing I felt, especially when I was working with some younger people recently, is that that sense of like, you know, when people are younger, they're just like, well, I'll just do what I do and someone else will take care of the rest of it. And once once you've been a parent a while, you're like, I'm taking care of all of this. You know, you don't just like say, well, I don't know. You, you follow through, you figure out all the parts, you know, you have to get it all done because it's not going to, you know, necessarily be someone else to figure out the parts you don't get to. To me, that was, that was definitely part of it, like a broader understanding of responsibility. I'm also wondering what are some ways that you folks balance home and work life? Thinking especially people alluded to, I think it was Eileen mentioned that the first five or six years are especially chaotic. Um, what are some things that you found helpful? Yeah, I think Eileen talked a little bit well about balancing, you know, especially with another person in, in the in the home. But I mean, there's, there's so many things you have to do to kind of balance. Um, you know, like I said, sometimes you sneak off at your lunch period to do something or um, Oh, something that just slipped my mind. I can't remember. But yeah, my husband and I would also sort of get negotiated. It's like, okay, I have this meeting I can't mix today. Can you stay home with the kids the first half and then we swap off? And, you know, um, and yeah, things that, that aren't going to get done this season, <laughs> you know. For me, um, I know a lot of people say it, but I really believe it, um, especially over the past year or two, I've really gotten into exercise. So like making time to exercise. Um, it's just good for your mind, body, and soul. Um, and then something, a trick that I learned is I make cooking like a family activity. Like it used to be, I would log off at five or 5.30, I'd go straight to the kitchen and I was like cooking and the kids were like whining about being hungry or like, what are we having for dinner? And um, it was it was stressful. Um, so then I was like, no, like this is gonna be a, <laughs> a team sport. Um, and so now we all cook together. Um, so they help out um, and it, it's less stressful. It's more fun. And I feel like uh, they're learning a life skill and it's, it's quality time. So um, that is something I've learned that's made my life less stressful. So might be something you guys want to try. Anything else I haven't asked yet that feels important to talk about? Oh, my last thing on my notes was having it all means doing it all and it's tiring. <laughs> it's really tiring. It just is. I don't think there's any way around it. Although I remember the thing I did for myself, it was when I was a single mom specifically, not a slob in general, but I started making sure that before I went to bed, I cleaned the table and then I would come down and see a clean table. And that just made my day. Like that was a good routine for a while when I was single. It was just the one chaos you could control I guess, mm -hmm. in a day for me. I was going to say one of the things that helped me find balance is 
I want to say small steps is, is and it's sort of like your, your clean table analogy where, you know, you have these tasks that seem so daunting and so big. And so, you know, just like I would break it down, like, you know, what, what pieces can I get done and just do a little piece each day. Um, so that really helped me find balance. I felt like I was making progress and I wasn't beating myself up and I wasn't pushing it all off until, you know, until, you know, and having to stay up all night or whatever I was, you know, would have to do. So, and, and that came in handy a lot with, um, just whether it be exercise, like even, you know, just to, to get in some exercise each day, so you know, 15 minutes, I have to be able to get 15 minutes or staying current with technology too. It's like, okay, you know, I got, I got up a little bit earlier. And so just to study or read, because that was one of the big challenges I found was trying to stay current with technology. Things were always changing. And it's like, how do I, how do I get this latest certification? How do I study? And just break it down into small steps. Like, don't feel like you have to chew it all at once. Just, you know, you can do it if you just kind of make a little bit of forward progress each day. Um, I would say a, a big thing to me is a, or an important thing is to hire help. So like maybe it's a housekeeper. Um, they're generally not nearly as expensive as you would think. People can come and clean your whole house, organize it, everything. Um, like we just had one. She, we, I wish I had her start earlier, but she said she started last, last week and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so worth it. Um, all the I mean, we don't really fight about it, but it's just, I get annoyed and it's harder to concentrate. Like I'll walk to my desk and if it's messy, you know, it's just, I can't, I mean, I do concentrate, but I have to turn my white noise on and everything. Now I can just, I don't even need my white noise. So it's, it's just like that clutter is gone. So um, I guess I'm not that neat naturally either. Well, not anymore. I used to, I used to be, but, um, and it, if it's a babysitter, like on the weekends, so you can go on a date night or just, you know, get your haircut, whatever. I think, I think that's really important. And a lot of moms end up not doing that for one reason or another. Um, but yeah, it makes a big difference. So much wisdom in this discussion, Melissa, I'm very glad you recorded. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment